0: Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight. For thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. never miss an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Um, I had both an opportunity and and an example of that this week. As I was uh, looking at a BBC video online, I came across a man um, by the name of Harry Billings, I think is his name. He's 93. He was one of the first to set foot on the coast at D-Day. And he was being interviewed on a British TV show about a memorial that he's raised thousands of pounds for, just personally on his own, going and talking to people, and helping people remember D-Day. And so they were interviewing uh, Mr. Billings, and the interviewer was asking him all sorts of questions about D-Day and talking about, how brave he was and of course just like many men of that generation he demurred and said I was not the brave one I was the lucky one there were many that were braver than I who died at 16 who died at 17 on those beaches but he kept saying he kept talking and he said you know what our world doesn't understand today is love He said the the love that we had for one another as comrades, as soldiers, was so much more of a love than the paltry love that people talk about today. He said it was even beyond the love between a man and a woman. It was a love of, of devotion and fidelity and brotherhood. And he said, and then he segued really interestingly, he pivoted over and he said, that's a love that God gives. And the youth don't have time to talk about God today, but I'm going to talk about him. And then he continued, quoting scripture, saying, turn back, turn back, O man, forsake thy foolish ways. And he went on to say, I believe that Jesus is coming back. And soon. And you should too. And of course, the the BBC interviewer got really uncomfortable when he started to invoke the name of Jesus, and he just continued on, and he kind of went on to uh, uh, rattle against, uh, rail against the Church of England and how screwed up it is, <laughs> but, um, which I actually didn't disagree with. But he didn't miss an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Um, I also had uh, the um, privilege of being at a birthday party of one of our parishioners this week down at the Bottle House Brewery. And I was in my collar, as I always am. And um, the bartender, the owner, actually came up to me and said, Father, it's Father, right? I said, yeah. He said, would you, would you pray over us? Now, keep in mind, this is like 9.30 at night. And um, you know, it, it, people are pretty well into the night, if you know what I mean. And um, not our people, no, but everybody else. And um, they were doing this benefit for uh, dogs, it was a pet, a ref, a pet um, uh, relief society of some sort, and, and I said, okay, sure, I'll, you know, I'll do that, and I got up on the stage, and he gave me the mic, and he said, just a second, we've got to let this other comedian quit swearing before we put you on, he said, okay, so I get up on stage on the mic, and, and I just started asking God's blessing on them. And you could tell the people were like, wait, wait, what's going on? Uh, Like like they were sobering up real fast. (laughs) And I said, don't worry, I'm not going to give you a sermon. (laughs) But I said, let's ask God's blessing on this cause. Because God loves all creatures. All creatures. And it went from a rather cold reception to some people started smiling. And some people softened immediately it was a great example to proclaim the gospel now who knows what'll be done with that who knows what seed that'll plant right was this weird guy that got up and said a prayer in the middle of my drinking one night but it was an opportunity and i could have easily missed that opportunity you know had i not had i not allowed the holy spirit to make me bold enough to take it I kind of questioned whether it was the right thing to do, but reflecting on it, I think it was. As we look at the canticle today, there's three parts to it, and ultimately it ends by saying that we need to take every opportunity to proclaim the name of the Lord. So open with me, if you would, to page 85. Canticle number eight, the Ecce Deus. Ecce Deus. It's taken from the Book of Isaiah, actually, chapter twelve, verse two through six, but the Church has put this together as one of the songs, one of the canticles, short songs of the Church. And if you look at it with me, there is three parts here. There's the first part, which is the first two verses. Begins surely it is God who saves me, and ends and He will be my savior. That's the first part. The second part begins with therefore you shall draw water, and ends with give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, at the bottom of the page, and then the third part starts with make His deeds known among the peoples, and ends with with the verse cry aloud, inhabitants of Zion. And I want to also invite you to open up with me to Isaiah chapter 12 in your Bible so that you can see where this is coming from. Isaiah chapter 12, rather, verse 2. And so I propose to you that there's these three sections. The first one is Isaiah's personal testimony. That's the first section. The second section is a promise of how God's people will react. And the third section is a response to what God has done. Do you see how those break up? Isaiah's testimony, a promise of what will be done for God's people. And then finally, our response as God's people as to what he's done. So Isaiah starts out saying, surely it is God who saves me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. Surely it is God who saves me. How can he say that? What's going on right now in Isaiah? God's people, once again, are turning to everything other than God to save them. They're putting their hope in other princes. They're abandoning God and using other gods, hoping that, you know, just maybe if I appease this God in addition to our God, then the invaders won't take us. There's all sorts of spiritual muck going on in God's people at this point in Isaiah. And yet Isaiah has this boldness. He says, surely it is God who saves me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. For the Lord is my stronghold and my sure defense. And he will be my savior. That's some real certainty, isn't it? Surely it is God who saves me, he says. Surely, not maybe, not perhaps, but surely. What has just preceded Isaiah saying this? If you have your Bibles open, look with me at chapter 11. Who's being talked about in chapter 11? Thank you. Jesus. Jesus is being talked about. Why? How is Jesus being talked about? You might recall this passage from Advent, right? Look at chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord." We can move down to verse 6. Maybe this one will ring a bell. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the shepherd shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child play over the hole of the cobra. It goes on and on. This is talking about Jesus. It's talking about the offspring of Jesse, right? And so Isaiah is looking forward, and what we see here is that Jesus changes everything. You see that Jesus changes everything for Isaiah. He hasn't even met him, and yet he sees that everything's going to change. Look at how different this canticle is, for example, from when God first. When Isaiah first encounters the Lord back in chapter 6, again, if you have your Bibles open, turn back to Isaiah chapter 6. We get this image of the Lord seated on the throne, right? And all the angels around him crying out, Holy, holy, holy. This is chapter 6 of Isaiah, verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke, and I said, Woe to me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people, a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. How that contrasts with the same man saying this in 12.2, Surely it is God who saves me, I will trust in Him, and not be afraid. Same guy, same God, You see the completely different attitude because Christ is seen in the middle. Don't take my word for it, though. Isaiah says so himself. Again, this is why it's important to open our Bibles, right? Because the canticle starts at verse 2. Look at verse 1. Here's Isaiah once again, right before our canticle starts. You will say... In that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. Do you see Isaiah giving his testimony? So what Isaiah is doing here in this first part of the canticle is giving his personal testimony. Also, look, it changes from the... the, the uh, The language changes. It goes from him talking about himself using first person language to second person language in the second part. So it starts out, surely it is God who saves me, not God who saves us, right? For I will trust in him and not be afraid. For the Lord is my stronghold and my sure defense and he will be my savior. Intensely personal. Isaiah's claiming this is his own. Testimony in the prophecy. But then it switches, right? So then we come to the second part. Therefore, you shall draw water with rejoicing from the springs of salvation. And on that day, you shall say, Give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. So let's look at that section here. Therefore, you, notice, shall, and that's you plural, by the way, in the Hebrew. You shall draw water with rejoicing and from the springs of salvation. And on that day you shall say, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Now when you think about water, and you wake up in the middle of the night and you have that dry cotton mouth feeling, right? uh, A cup of water means everything to you, Right? I just get to the sink and have a cup of water, you know, just a little bit, and then I can go back to sleep. Isaiah's using that imagery for a people who, for whom water is actually scarce, right? The Hebrew people rely on the rains. They rely on the dew for their crops. They have rivers, it's true, but no massive irrigation systems, Right? And so Isaiah is using this imagery to them and to us, saying, therefore you shall draw water with rejoicing. Draw water with rejoicing from the spring of salvation. Who do you suppose is being talked about here? Thank you, yes. (laughs) Jesus again. Ali's my plant this morning. Jesus again, right? Who is it that says, I will give you living water to the woman at the well in John's gospel? Jesus. I'll give you water that will never run out, says Jesus. And so this image of salvation being like water for us is really important, right? Because this theme runs through the Old Testament. From God's people coming out of Egypt, getting water in Exodus from the rock, Right? Coming through the Red Sea, through water there, being sprinkled with water in Ezekiel. Actually, if you want to look this up, look at the Easter Vigil Service. They're, they're all there. They're all listed there because it's all images for something that we celebrated a few weeks ago. It's all images for baptism. This baptism that we're given. And that baptism is a source of our salvation that will never run out because Christ is now in us through that water. And so once again, we see Isaiah looking ahead and saying, you will draw water with rejoicing from the springs of salvation. Now how many of us think about our baptism that way? That it's a source from which we draw our salvation, our deliverance. You know, I was talking to somebody else this week in a, I had a meeting, um, in my office with this parishioner, and this person said to me, I just don't understand how people's faith is not more important to them. It's everything for me. I, I was not, this person had converted as an adult and, and said, you know, once I was not part of the body of Christ, once I, was, once I was lost, once I didn't know Jesus, and now I do. And it changed my life Completely changed my life completely. And I don't understand how people cannot rejoice over that. But I look around and sometimes it it just seems to me like people just take it for granted like like anything else that they would do. And I said to her, well, sometimes it's hard for those of us that grew up in the church to really see this as the joy that it is. To really see Christ's grace as the gift that it is. I think her observation was good, because so often we struggle with rejoicing in our salvation. Why is that? Is there anything more important than that? In the gospel reading today, Jesus talks about the resurrection. The Sadducees are there trying to trip him up, right? They're trying to trip him up with this idea of this woman who has um, has had seven husbands, right? Who have died and ask him, whose husband will she be? And Jesus does answer the question, but he says the more important point here is the resurrection. The fact that there is a resurrection, and on that day, those who are chosen by God, by his grace, will be there. There's nothing more important than that. There's nothing more joyful than that. The fact that Christ has overcome sin and death. And again, Isaiah sees it here. Which is why he responds, And on that day you shall say, Give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make his deeds known among the peoples. Into the third part. So what's our response? Make his deeds known among the peoples. See that they remember That his name is exalted. Sing the praises of the Lord, for he has done great things, and this is known in all the world. Cry aloud, inhabitants of Zion, ring out your joy, for the great one in the midst of you is the Holy One of Israel. St. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians in our epistle reading, puts it this way He says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Why? Here's what he says. Because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our identity. That's our identity. And that's the good news that we have to share, is that we've been called as the first fruits, as those saved, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, to share the gospel that we've been given. And Isaiah calls us to do it in three different ways. Make his deeds known among the peoples, that they may remember that his name is exalted. What are some practical ways that we can make his deeds known among the peoples and see that they remember his name? What are some very practical ways that you can do that? I challenge you, think about it. Do you share your faith with people? You know, we get so uptight about faith, right? We're so afraid that someone's going to, we let fear overcome us, that someone's going to judge us or that someone's going to be offended. And yet, here we're told, make his deeds known to the people. You never know how people are going to react. When you react out of fear, you're robbing yourself of an opportunity to make God's name known. Right? Who knows? Maybe people are, will be happy to hear about it. Right? It is good news, after all. Sing praises to the Lord, says Isaiah, for he has done great things, and this is known in all the world. Sing praises to the Lord. What are we doing here? We are singing praises to the Lord. You know, one really easy way to proclaim the Lord is just by enthusiastically participating in the liturgy. What if instead of mumbling through responses, we said them out loudly as if we believed them? Our congregation's pretty good at that, but we could do better. What if instead of just kind of fumbling through the hymnal, we sing praises out aloud as you would sing at karaoke night at a bar? What if you sang with that kind of passion the hymns of God, the story of who we are? What would that look like It would encourage God's people here, right? But it would also encourage anyone who might be visiting with us. It would be a way of singing and proclaiming the Lord's name, right? Cry aloud, says Isaiah. Cry aloud, inhabitants of Zion. Ring out your joy. You know, I looked up the Hebrew on this. It's this idea of shouting with a bell-like quality, which is why it's translated this way here, why the word ring is used. To cry aloud. Let your song ring out musically before people. Right? For the Great One is in the midst of you. That's the rationale. And it's true. Isaiah could only look at Jesus from afar. But the Great One is in the midst of us in word and sacrament every week. Cry aloud. That's your salvation in Jesus Christ. And so you see, these canticles preach themselves, don't they? They preach themselves. They call the church to remember who we are, to proclaim who God is, and to respond, and to respond to it with joy. Friends, As we go forth, let us apply this somehow in our lives. Don't miss an opportunity. Don't miss an opportunity to one be with Christ, to hear who you are in Him, and to proclaim and exalt His name to those around you. That's our call. That's our duty. That's our joy. Amen.